Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder with Valerie Graham with Find Me, Police Psychics, and More, produced and broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Today's guest is Christy Smith, well-known, world-renowned dog trainer and uh, commander and founder of the famous Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue. Welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you, Kelly. Valerie, you got some uh, bio oh, we on Christy. Oh, got some big bio think, uh, on Christy. No. I'm telling you, Christy, I'm looking very forward to this, as I'm sure are many of our listeners. And to remind everyone that they can call in with questions directly for Christy at uh, 914-338-1186. That's 914-338-1186. And we're also watching the chat line on hearwomentalk.com. Post your questions on the chat, and we will answer you live. Well, Christy, you are indeed a famed dog trainer and head trainer of Phoenix, Arizona's revolutionary dog training business, Canine Games. And I understand you titled a champion, a breed champion, when you were only 13 years old. Is that right? That's correct. Oh, so that was the beginning? That was, well, actually, probably started long before then. I grew up uh, with my parents showing dogs in confirmation and obedience, uh, rough and uh, smooth collies as well as Dobermans. Oh, so this started early, and, of course, you were, as Kelly mentioned, you were instrumental in the formation of the Maricopa Association of Rescue Canines, Mark 9, and the famed Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue, Arizona Star. And this, of course, is a nonprofit organization, and, through these organizations, you help set, I am told, some of the highest standards in testing and evaluations for canines and handlers. And that's, that's quite, a, quite a, an accomplishment. And uh, your involvement in the world of dogs is impressive. Just a few things, because otherwise I'd take up the whole program with all of your wonderful things. You're a certified veterinary tech, a remote collar specialist, the 2008 and 9 president of the Veterinary Health Care Team of Arizona and a certified dive master on top of all that. But you regularly collaborate with vets and vet staff on educational programs for the public and you're an advocate of many, many things that are so important for animals. And you have a unique training style, which we're going to talk about a little later. Great. And we're glad to have you here today, as I'm sure are many of our listeners. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, good, good. I don't know if you want to uh, begin with one of the most interesting things that you say, which is that you don't train the dogs. In many ways, you train the owners. The dogs are the easy part of it. Training the owners is what's difficult. Uh, We have to remember that we're um, teaching the dogs to speak a different language, which is human language, which includes not only the verbal aspect of it, but our body language. Um, and we have to teach the owners how to adjust a little bit to assist their dogs in learning to communicate properly. Well, I met you, Christy, in uh, 2001. I think uh, uh, we can both uh, have a little bit of memory going back that far. But when I was working for the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children is when I met you. But long before we met, you were a dog trainer. I think you had a search and rescue group as a volunteer or Explain a little bit about that, because I know you lived in Kentucky for a while, so if we could, let's uh, visit that part of your life and uh, and bring it forward to uh, where you are today. Okay, well, um, I think as Valerie mentioned earlier, I, and we talked about, I, uh, I began training dogs when I was probably old enough to walk, helping my parents, titling my first breed champion when I was 13. I actually began training professionally in 1981, um, first in Colorado, and then in 1982 I moved uh, with my husband to Victoria, Texas. Um, I joined the Victoria Dog Obedience Club there where I was an active member and an instructor for teaching novice open utility and a lot of the puppy classes. Um, I was also on one of the first agility teams there. Um, from there we went to uh, Kentucky and I was Uh, working my dogs in obedience and in confirmation and joined um, an organization called the Kentucky Search Dog Association in 1988. And that's when I began training dogs to locate um, missing people, live and deceased. Now, when you said confirmation, Christy, what does that mean? 
A confirmation is a breed title. It means when you put a dog in the ring and you, you, they don't have any faults that are not acceptable for the breed. A judge evaluates them against all the other ones in the ring and makes sure they don't have disqualifying faults. They, they look at gait, structure, temperament, uh, coat, a lot of different things. Um, it's simply just a, a confirmation title means it's a good, acceptable specimen for the breed and is worthy of being being bred to produce more pup, more offspring. So what uh, this uh, training for search and rescue, uh, you say you started that in Kentucky. About when did you start that? In 1988. Okay. And then you moved, I think you said uh, you moved to uh, Arizona sometime in the late 90s. Is that is that accurate? Actually, the early 90s, 1993, I came from Kentucky and um, started setting up, uh, uh, started training with the Maricopa uh, Sheriff's Department here for search and And, rescue. And then uh, when did you start the Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue? I started that in 1998. What... uh, what I'd like to get into, and, and we're going to be talking about the various degrees of training, but uh, in the search and rescue, there's there's the scent tracking, there's uh, or scent, there's tracking, and then there's cadaver search. Uh, can you go into each one of those categories, starting with uh, where you essentially start out with the dogs? Because I know not every dog is uh, is capable of doing this kind of work out in the field searching for people so tell me start out if you would just tell me what you're looking for in any kind of a dog and I mean any kind of a dog can walk through the door from a Pomeranian almost to you know a poodle it really doesn't matter if you're looking for something in the dog right Christy? We are we're looking for number one a dog that likes to problem solve Um, we're looking for dogs that have a high drive meaning they don't get bored um with a certain thing right away and then want to go just lay on the couch. We want them to to want to persevere in anything we ask them to do until they they get to the end. Um, so we're looking for dogs with very high drives, very active dogs, um, not your typical couch potato type pups. And that's the easiest way, I think, for most people to understand the difference between a drivey dog and a, and a dog that's a couch potato. You know, mm-hmm. if the dog likes to come in the house and just flop on the floor all the time and really doesn't play more than a couple minutes. Um, when, we, when we evaluate the dogs, we give them challenging problems to, to resolve. And we're looking for a dog that no matter how difficult the problem is, it keeps going until it figures out the answer. And it doesn't matter what kind of dog, right? I mean, it's anything. With someone just, in fact, our switchboard lit up with people asking questions. Of course, I think you answered what qualities must a dog have to be a successful search dog. Question by Nancy. Uh, Shirley asked the difference between canine dogs quote, you know, the K-9 and search and find dogs, or if there is any difference, or what about that term? Well, I think what they're referring to probably is a K-9 dog. They may be talking about a patrol dog versus a search and rescue. What is the difference, Um, or is there one? Well, there are differences, and and those differences can vary depending on the department's um, training programs and their utilization of them. Um, a patrol canine is one that is trained to um, follow a hot track on a, or even even sometimes a somewhat cold track, on a missing um, a, a person who has been the perpetrator of a crime. Um, and, and sometimes their reward is a bite at the end. They get to bite the person. Um, <laughs> because they're, they're trained to also typically, and I say typically, protect their officer as well, their handler. Um, a search and rescue dog is taught that it gets a reward at the end, be it, you know, tug, playing ball, etc. It doesn't get to bite the, the subject that was lost. Well, there's quite um, a difference, I would say. So it is. If that's the type of, if that's the actual question the person is asking. Yes, it is, that is what they're asking. Now, somebody asked also, Kay, would a Jack Russell Terrier do a good job in SNR search and rescue? They absolutely can. There's very few breeds that aren't suited for it. There 
um, sense of smell is 100 million times greater than ours. The um, biggest issue you have is, is number one, the feasibility for the type of search you are doing, um, meaning out in the desert, a Jack Russell doing an air scent problem where it's working out up to a half a mile from the, the handler could become coyote bait pretty quick. Mm. But a Jack Russell doing trailing work or human remains detection work, which is typically a little bit tighter, closer into a handler, would probably excel at it. Um, the longer the nose is, the better the olfactory capabilities. So we look at that also when choosing dogs for search and rescue. Your flat little pugs um, have lots and lots of uses, but typically they have trouble breathing. So they're mouth breathing, not nose breathing. If the dog is not breathing through its nose, it is not smelling at its optimal level. So well, we want dogs that. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. So we want we look for dogs that have long noses, not the the flatter faces, what they call a brachiocephalic um, dog. And what's Does that you with that these? Yeah, I think you did. Uh, there may be something additional that'll come through from the same caller, but. Um, when you're describing these dogs, there one additional little aspect of this, and I'm sure you were going to get into it, but I'll ask you anyway, is is the factor of uh, weather. And here in Arizona, obviously, that's huge as far as uh, the type of breed, uh, you know, that, that we have available here. I mean, any dog can do it, get used to the temperature, but give me an example of a dog that probably wouldn't do well here, the most obvious probably being a St. Bernard. Well... <laughs> Yeah, and there's other other reasons why St. Bernard would may not be the, the dog of choice for do, searching in the desert. Um, but primary, it, primarily, it would be you know its acclimation for the environment, um, its ability to work huge huge areas and not become overheated. Part of it has to do with acclimation um, and conditioning for the environment versus anything else. A bulldog. Even or a boxer, even one with a little bit longer nose, might have some difficulties just because of the particular characteristics of the breed. Um, I have seen a, a couple boxers do pretty well doing search and rescue in mountainous areas and um, areas that have a lot more vegetation and not at the extreme heat temperatures. They tend to have more difficulty here in Arizona in the Sonoran Desert areas. In the right. mountains, they do just fine sometimes. Well, well we listen, uh, we're, we're about to take a break, Christy, so uh, with that train of thought, we're going to come back here in a little bit to uh, go into not only the different breeds and the temperatures and everything like we've experienced in past cases here in our searches, but uh, uh for those that want to call in, just remember the number is 914-338-1186. We'll be back in uh, a little bit. And Thanks. Kelly, they can still write us in at hearwomentalk.com, and we'll look forward to answering your questions then. Great. See you soon. Bye. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hi, this is Chris Hillenberg of Hear Women Tell on Hear Women Talk Radio. You can hear us every Wednesday between 3 and 4. Please join us where we get the story behind the story as we talk to professional storytellers. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa, featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. 
This is Dottie Laster, the host of Trafficked, an hour-long discussion about human trafficking in the United States. Join me as we meet guests from around the world and locally who are combating the fastest-growing crime in the world. Join us every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern on Hear Women Talk Radio. When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife. Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari Jeep Tour. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Psychics, find me. Welcome back, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder with Valerie Graham and Find Me, Police Psychics and More. Our guest today, Christy Smith with Arizona Search, Track and Rescue. I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but Christy and uh, the Find Me group have been partnered up since 2002. And one of the questions before we were taken off to break, uh, Christy, was the, um, you know, the different types of dogs and we were talking about that. But also a question came in and uh, remind me of the question again, Valerie? Yes, the question from Kay was, how old is too old to train a search dog? Well, typically, uh, Valerie and Kelly, what we what we do is we evaluate the dog individually. Um, some dogs at six years old have um, really, really high drives. Um, they are easily still very trainable and can learn what we need them to learn very quickly. Um, Six is probably the outside edge of things as far as dogs that I have trained and gotten to an operational status. You have to figure with a new handler, it can take up to two years before the handler and the dog knows everything that they need to know in order to be certified. An experienced handler can get their dogs there much quicker. Um, then you have to consider what is the work uh, working lifespan of the dog from there. So if you take a six-year-old dog, you spend two years getting it operational, you've got an eight-year-old dog, depending on that breed, you might be at the end of the working uh, lifespan at that point, um, or you might be early on. Um, we've done, uh, we've trained a couple Dobermans and a couple labs that, you know, they were older dogs, five and six when they started, got them operational, and they still had a good three or four years of working lifespan before they needed to be retired. On the other hand, I've also seen it be very quickly where they only had a year or so. Um, that's why you have to, to look at that as each individual dog, not as a breed or an overall guideline. Typically, we like to start our dogs as puppies, as young as possible. Well, um, and a key component to that, Christy, as, as you and I have experienced in the last eight years together is... Uh, if you have a dog that's older and you're not getting the full benefit of it, you know that it's discouraging to not only you know the the owner of the dog and the trainer uh, of the dog, but uh, you know you want the dog to be as useful as long as you can. And, sure, sure. You know, actually, after the dog is trained, the, the fun is the fun, and all of that time that you've spent is watching the dog work because it's extremely. Um, impressive when you see these dogs work and and actually get on scent so and you know speaking of that christy you know this uh you know this training that you're talking about the the 2000 hours plus uh, it involves you know training the dogs here locally anyway in the arizona desert is watching out for snakes and all the things that can harm the dog but it's not only tracking it's for scent it's for cadaver it's water it's everything so can you sort of start out and yeah, what tell are the us differences yeah. Uh, yeah what do you do okay well air scent is where the dog utilizes air the air currents to follow scent 
to a source, the source being either uh, a live human, a deceased human, evidence, whatever we've trained the dog to, to that source is. Um, trailing work is following uh, the general path that a person might have taken. Um, if you can envision what the pig pen from the Snoopy's cartoon looks like, he's got this little cloud of dust around him all the time. <laughs> well, that is our scent picture to a dog. We have rafts of cells falling all over, falling off of us on a continual basis. Um, and as we move along, we drop those rafts of cells off. The wind and, you know, environment moves them a little bit, and so the dog follows that path for a trailing dog. A tracking dog follows almost footstep to footstep um, to get to the, that source. Uh, human remains detection dogs are trained to find minute particles, pieces of uh, drops of blood, uh, you know, lots of pieces of uh, small amounts of body fluid, lots of um, evidence on like a knife, things like that, that they're, you know, that there's human remains on. A cadaver dog is typically taught on larger amounts to find a whole body. Um, an evidence dog is taught to find different things of evidence. A lot of dogs are cross-trained to find evidence along with either air scent, trailing, tracking, cadaver, etc. Um, evidence would be a gun, you know, something that still had human scent on it but was handled by a, oh, interesting. a, a perpetrator. Oh. Um, evidence could also be somebody's wallet, um, a comb, a pack of cigarettes that they touched, anything that might have human scent on it still. Um, and then water work is, is also a little another one of those specialty categories such as human remains and cadaver and evidence, but it, they're taught to find anything that has human scent on it that's under the water. And that can last forever just for the simple reason the water, depending on the temperature, will preserve the body. So the gases from the body, not only, you know, the gases, but just anything that's uh, emanating from the body is going to come to the surface. Explain a little bit about that, and especially in a recent search we did in Anacortes, Washington, with all of the tides. But go into the, you know, the basics, and then I'd like to uh, hit upon, you know, the tiny little nightmare when when you are dealing with the currents, Christy? Well, water work is, is, is like I said, a specialty, a specialty category. Um, different teams train different ways. Some teams pump scent under the water. Some use divers. Um, the unfortunate thing is, is most of the time when we're doing a water search, we're not looking for a live person. We're looking for a deceased person. So our team, and I can only use us for an example, I won't speak for any other teams out there, we typically use hair and um, and or things that we're pumping scent underneath the water, underneath water, uh, for the dogs to smell, um, and we teach them on minute amounts. Um, I, just as a quick overview, anytime there is any piece of a body there, even if it's a bone, if the dog is properly trained, it should be able to locate it because there is still scent. Now there are different factors that affect that, both in a wilderness setting as well as um, in uh, water work. Water work, and specifically, um, causes a little bit more um, difficulty because, depending on your body of water, you may be dealing with thermoclines, you may be dealing with riptides, you may be dealing with underwater currents as well as surface winds. So, lots of different variables there that you have to factor in. When that would make trying, it confusing to the dog. Well, it's when you're not so confusing to them, but where you're, you're trying to pinpoint where that and get it as close as possible to where that that body is, and you've got all these other variables moving the scent, and the dog is going to tell you where it is getting the strongest scent at that given moment. Um, two days later, that can change if your tides and your currents change. A um, lot of a lot of variables that can affect that a little bit. Has your um, has your scuba diving training and all that you've done meshed with that? Has that given you a different perspective of underwater rescue? It absolutely has given me a, a very different perspective because I actually dive many of the areas we train and search in. So um, I know what that I can drop down, you know, 30 feet and be in water that's 20 degrees colder mm -hmm. than um, 
than what it is on the surface. So then I understand a little bit better what's happening with scent, um, currents, um, tides. We understand those better, too. And it's amazing how in certain areas the tides and currents are so strong, and in other areas they're not. Um, you really, until you've dove, I don't think you have a really good perspective of that. I can tell you I've done water work since 1988. We did a lot of it in Kentucky, and until I became a diver and actually got in the water, I really didn't have a, even with all the book education I did, I did not have the understanding that I now have. Well, you know, the cool thing about, you know, the diving part was something that we recently did in Anacortes, Washington, looking for a person that we knew was murdered, and we felt that the person was uh, dumped in the water there. And uh, tell the audience a little bit about that particular search, how intense it was, number one, the currents, everything that, you know, the dogs did, uh, especially, you know, the the land search prior to the water search, and uh, go into depth a little bit if you can on that. Well, it was a it was a, a search that we had. Obviously, a, what we knew was going to be a homicide. So, um, even the land searches that we were doing adjacent to some of the area that we felt that there that he might be, um, the dogs were hitting on the water, and some of these were a significant distance. Um, we were able to by putting the dogs in boats, um, and it took a little bit of of finagling to get just the right bows based on all the currents and stuff and begin to work the dogs properly um, in that area because they kept trying to bring us boats that had us way too far out of the water. Um, but um, the weather played a little bit of a factor in doing those searches. We also had changing currents all the time. And so it made it difficult to pinpoint. And what we were getting was one of the dogs um, indicating that she had a strong scent source in one area and in reviewing that and going over things with the diver the diver went into the water he couldn't physically stay on his pattern to grid search that area it kept pushing him out of it and that mm-hmm. was due to the current um, so that tells you how strong and this this was a diver who was driving in a diving in a dry suit 30 pounds of weight on him along with his tank and stuff so pretty heavily weighted. He's a very experienced technical diver. And when he comes up and tells me he's having difficulty because of the tides in that area, that tells you the force that the water is moving. So so in that respect, we were able then to try to widen the search um, and, and try to pinpoint more of an area. Well, in that particular search, as I recall, a lot of the, the area that we were getting uh, onshore was the currents were so strong that that odor or scent better uh, described was coming on shore because of those currents so the dogs were alerting trying to get into the water alerting on shore but basically telling you that you know there's something out in the water i can't get to it well well to give you an example with my dog um that i was working she actually tried to go over a cliff when she got oh, in the sand no. and so what was <laughs> happening is no. the water was pushing the sand up against this cliff and then it was going straight up the cliff wall and so and then over the edge and she was getting it at the edge trying to go over we worked her down to the shore and then she tried to get over to that exact spot but she couldn't go along the shoreline because it was a cliff so all of her indications were that something was in the water that was giving off human decomp well, what we're going to do, we're going to take another break, Christy, and uh, when we come back, I'd like to go into a little bit more on that particular search, and then we'll jump off to some of the other searches we recently did within the last month. And we have uh, lots of questions for you. Okay. <laughs> so, so we'll be back shortly. Okay. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. That's galore. Visit our store at 4822 Highway 17 at Barefoot Landing. We have the largest source of hats in the greater Grand Strand area. Tilly, Stetson, Indiana Jones, Wallaroo, 
top hats, mad hatter, derbies, felts, fedoras, cowboy, golfer, driver, life is good. We carry a large selection of women's fashion hats as well as red hat society hats. We also have an assortment of umbrellas, canes, and walking sticks. Hats Galore, located at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach. We are the best source for hats in the Grand Strand area. Hats Galore at barefoot.com. Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Hi folks, this is Private Investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone. If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at abramsforensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at abramsforensics.com. That's abramsforensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife. Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari. Safari Jeep Tour. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Police Psychics, find me. Welcome back, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder with Valerie Graham, and our guest today is Christy Smith. She is the trainer and founder of Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue. When we took the break, uh, Christy, we were talking about the Anacorta Search, which uh, I want to go back to. I do want you to explain a little bit more about the type of water we were dealing with and uh, and the fact that, you know, we talked about the currents and everything, but in this particular particular case it was salt water so explain the significance if you would you know to that particular element that uh, uh, one of our uh, chat room people had mentioned the ocean wanted to know about the ocean searches right but that, we'll talk about that later yes. go okay, ahead I'm well, sorry. The, that particular search and I, I can only I'll speak for it is we were dealing with a lot of because it is in Puget Sound which of course is salt water um, where it comes up from the ocean through a lot of the different islands there, you're dealing with a lot of different currents. You're dealing with water, too, that varies in depth, anywhere from two feet to very quickly over 100 feet uh, within less than a tenth of a mile sometimes. And, and sometimes you you have a drop that is, you know, from four feet to 80 feet very quickly in, in those areas. Um, there are what they call reefs or, or barriers, um, when they're, when ocean comes up around islands, they'll wear away certain areas and other parts they don't. And they'll form underwater, almost like underwater mountains in some areas. Um, so you're dealing with how the water is flowing over, under, and through different topography as well. Well, the thing with this uh, particular search is we had high wind on one day, and then one day it was sort of calm, and then in the middle of the search the wind kicked up again. So... All of these things, you know, the wind, the currents, all of these things uh, 
are really somewhat disruptive to the dogs, but once they hit, hit on the scent, it really doesn't matter, right? That's correct. I mean, they alert us that they're in scent, and then it's up to us then to keep assisting them and getting to to that source or as close to the source as they can. That's the tricky part. Um, to go back and kind of explain how the dogs do water work, is anytime there's a scent source underwater, it their rafts of cells come off of that and go float to the surface. It's kind of like pouring oil on water. It floats to the surface. Um, then it's moved along the surface, that, you know, by tides, um, surface current, wind, etc. And those are the things that the dog's smelling. Right. And, I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to get in before we took the break, and I forgot, but uh, Mark Stover, the individual we were looking for, the guy who uh, um, got rid of the body, so to speak, uh, was on trial last week and the week before that but the irony to this whole case is here we are looking for Mark Stover who is a dog trainer and was well known in the Anacortes area and and often referred to as trainer to the stars because a lot of the dogs he trained were from athletes and uh, people in the in the uh, entertainment business so uh, I thought I'd bring that up just because uh, here we are uh, well-known dog trainer like Christy looking for a well-known dog trainer that uh, an ironic twist yeah you know it you know a little bit and then one of the things during our search the first search we did two weeks ago while well, uh, uh, I think it was Christy and Courtney and and Kiki in the boat Kiki being the dog uh, uh, we had some uh, shots fired at us so uh, that that made things a little bit more interesting on that particular day did you Explain ever find out who the, did that um, no, we didn't, uh, and I don't know. We gave the area where the shots came from, and there was a house in that area, so the police were supposed to follow up on it, and I didn't hear anything. Did you, Christy? Um, no, I didn't. Um, so I don't. I don't know that they were able ever able to determine um, exactly um, the exact location because we're not sure if the shots were fired from there, or from down on the beach in front of that house. So my dog just said they were closer than she would like them to be. Yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, anyway, one of the questions uh, that we were touching on a little bit is, does the salt water versus fresh water, uh, being out in the middle of the ocean versus being in an inlet, uh, I'm assuming that there's tons of different uh, reasons that this could change the scope of the search, but uh, explain a little bit about the difference between fresh water and out in the middle of the ocean, so to speak. Well, out in the middle of the ocean, you're dealing with a lot more tides, uh, sometimes heavier currents, sometimes lesser currents. So it all varies depending on the, also the freshwater body of water you're, you're searching. Um, the, the difference is in saltwater versus freshwater is saltwater is more buoyant. So um, things tend to move more and a little bit differently because of that buoyancy than they will in freshwater. Um, and that probably is the biggest hampering of the scent. It just means we typically have a bigger area to search than we would in a fr freshwater body of water. But um, the actual the technique is the same, isn't it? It is. It, it is. The general rule of thumb, too, is obviously in, in the ocean, you can have much more significant depths. Um, to be honest, I have not heard of any case where a dog has located a body underwater at more than about 225 feet. It doesn't mean that it's not possible. That's just what I know of. Um, and, and I don't know everything. I just know that that's what I'm aware of at this time. Um, so that's the, the deepest that I've ever heard of. Um, and that was in a freshwater body of water, not in salt water. Well, to sort of tie this in, you know, to what uh, both of our groups do. I mean, I, I think most of the listening audience is aware that Find Me Group is separate from your group, but we've worked together for the past eight years, sort of a continuous circle of psychics providing the information. Uh, we have the law enforcement element within the Find Me Group dealing with law enforcement on the other end. And then, of course, you know, if we do have an area where the psychics have indicated they think that the body is, and in this case we did, and so we go to that place where the GPS coordinates were provided, and lo and behold, uh, Christie's dog and uh, 
you know, Claudia's dog uh, both alerted in that general vicinity. So uh, I just wanted to point out the fact that, you know, all of these entities working together is is what we're trying to accomplish. And you do work together all over the country. It's not just in certain areas. Well, keeping in mind, you can, you know, when you yeah, can. I mean, keeping in mind, we we're all volunteers. Everything we do is uh, free of charge, uh, both for Christie's group and mine. So obviously, this is a key component. We are going on a search that we'll uh, touch on a little bit uh, uh, in California in, in three days uh, for an individual we believe to be murdered and buried, and uh, uh, you know, a little different scenario. This will be a land search versus water search, but you know, the whole. The whole idea here is, uh, yeah, we work together, and and uh, we will go anywhere and everywhere as long as uh, we're able to afford it. Number one, number two, it makes sense to actually go there because of the uh, the significance of what the facts are surrounding the case. In in so, your in your searches, uh, Christy, both with Find Me and others, do you get a tremendous amount of fines, if you will? You know, that's all relative to being put in the right area. Um, so, I, you know, I, I couldn't even begin to give you a percentage, but um, I can tell you that uh, on the team, we've never been in an area that we searched and then had somebody come back in, out and make a find in that area. So we haven't had a miss. Um, well, that's I think a pretty a much good more, statistic. A much more important component there. Um, that means we're clearing our areas properly. Um you know, relatively speaking, I believe that we get a high percentage of cases that we're able to solve both with the psychics and, and on the searches that we do independently. Well, one of the best qu- uh, cases that we worked where it gelled, you know, almost from the second we received the case was the Ed Hatfield case, which uh, happened here in Arizona in a mountainous area called. Uh, well, it was actually closer to Munns Park than it was to Flagstaff, but we were about 25 miles south of Flagstaff, and uh, we had a general no, vicinity a little, I think area. it was a little further than that, Kelly. Well, you, you're probably right. I remember it was mile marker 310 is about what yeah. I remember, but it yeah. could have been as much as 35 miles away. But uh, the significance of this search was not only was it mountainous and 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 the other part was one of the things Dan brought up in our conversation uh, last week with him was uh, it was in a uh, rattlesnake infested uh, mm. valley it was sounds uh, wonderful well yeah but this is one of the significant attributes of uh, Christie's group is they do snake uh, training for all of the dogs and of course obviously the handlers and anyone that's out on the searches so go into that search a little bit Christy but you know touch base on the the training for the dogs on the snake snake uh, avoidance is it well a little bit close to that. Yeah, we do yeah. snake avoidance clinics, yes. <laughs> we teach the dogs to avoid snakes by sight, sound, and smell. Get the hell away from the snakes uh, training <laughs> yes. is what we call it. Right. Yes. Well, the, the nice name. thing is, is it provides an alert system for the handlers, too. Um, I, one of our handlers recently was taking a course, and she was participating in this course um, without her dog, and came extremely close, like within a quarter of an inch of stepping on a rattlesnake. Oh. Um, had her dog been there, she would have been warned that that snake was there so that it is very very important to do proper snake proof training with the dogs because there are early warning system that a snakes in the area and um, tell us a little bit about that so that everybody knows what you're talking about Okay. Well, I can tell you how, how we do the training um, and how we've found that it works is we use live defanged rattlesnakes. They are humanely kept, um, captured and kept, and then they're, they're defanged safely so that they can jump at the snake, they can rattle, do everything in a normal environment for them, um, except not deliver um, their, their venom. So, and, and in doing that, we teach the dogs, you know, to stay at a distance from them and move around them. And it is a process. You have to kind of see that to understand. And on my website, on the Canine Games website, we will have some uh, video up in the next couple of weeks for some uh, snake-proofing clinics that we recently did that will give people a better idea, and they're welcome to go visit that. Um, what is that uh, site, Christy? Say it real quick it for us www.k9, the letter K, the number 9, hyphen, games, G-A-M-E-S, dot com. Okay, thank you. And we'll uh, 
make sure that's uh, you know in our uh, our website at Hear Women Talk also, so that people uh, can go there. It's currently on the uh, website right now, but uh, in case someone okay. didn't catch that. But anyway, anything okay. else with that? Uh, the training? Well, just the the snake for the person that I am currently using, and it was a you know it's it's hard to find people that train in this particular manner. But I can tell you the dogs that we did in this manner eight years ago, we tested them, and they're still snake snake um, avoidance trained. Um, we had a number of dogs that came that had been trained by, or supposedly snake-proofed by some other people and or in different ways, and those dogs were willing to go walk right up and put their nose on snakes. So I do know that the way that we're doing it works, and it's really imperative for anybody who's out, especially in the desert areas, that are heavily infested with snakes to, um, to snake-proof their dogs. Well, there are what, plenty out here in Carolina, South Carolina as well. And oh, yeah, absolutely. Other spots. They're all absolutely. over. Yeah, there's very few areas that are not um, that that don't have snakes of some type. So. What does the What does the dog actually do so that the the handler is alerted? Well, every dog's different. Uh, my dog drops his head, and he just moves the other way. Will refuse to even walk with me through that area. Um, I actually one of my dogs stopped in front of me and tried to push me away. Oh um, my. Every dog's different. Um, Claudia's bloodhound, Harley, uh, dropped her head, stared at the spot, and then slowly backed away and went around. And her, we teach the owners. Obviously, the owners have to be involved, and we want the owners to, to understand what the dog is telling them. And um, the interesting thing is, is right after that uh, snake proofing, one of the trainers that actually works for Canine Games was walking his dog in his neighborhood, which is up in the desert areas, and his dog gave the avoidance behavior close to a, a bush. Turns out there was a snake in it. Well, listen, and we're going to have to take a break here, Christy, if you can hold that thought. And keep and, your questions uh, coming on Yeah, we'll be back in just a little the bit. chat line. Thank you. Hi, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. The definition of guru is to lead from darkness to light, and one who is regarded as having great knowledge, wisdom, and authority in a certain area, and who uses it to guide others. Join us on Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for the Where Is My Guru show, where gurus from the areas of art, travel, creative activism, wellness, and the spa share their infinite wisdom and maybe a glass of wine. Fridays at 3 p.m. right here on Hear Women Talk Radio. Tonight, take an adventure on the Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Explore the haunted swamps where alligators and the ghosts from long ago still reside. Stroll across floating walkways beneath the Spanish moss as your pirate guide leads you by lantern and shares 13 spooky tales along the way. The Ghost Walk departs nightly at dusk, only at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Call 843-361-2700 or visit at MyrtleBeachGhostWalk.com for advanced tickets. The Myrtle Beach Ghost Walk. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravel Resort. The Caravel Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravel's Studio Spa. Featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravel Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravel.com. 800-507-9145. Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Police Psychics, find me.
Welcome back, everyone. This is Kelly Snyder with Valerie Graham, and our guest today is Christy Smith with the Arizona Search, Track, and Rescue, also known as AZ Star. Christy, when we uh, left for the break, you were talking about uh, this, that, and the other, and the the snakes and and the heavily infested area we were in uh, a couple years ago when we were looking for Ed Hatfield. Uh, explain, uh, if you would, you know that particular search on pretty much uh, start to end, if you would. Okay. Well, that was a um, search in which we were contacted by the family approximately two weeks after Mr. Hatfield went missing. Um, they had exhausted efforts, it seemed like, with the police, et cetera, all without, um, without any results. Um, I asked the family to involve, if I could involve, uh, find me, and they agreed. So I immediately contacted you guys to provide some psychic help because at that point, other than him missing, we didn't know where he was. Um, there had not been no way to track where he left from Phoenix. Um, so the psychics were able to pinpoint an area um, and based on where his, I believe they, the police had already found his vehicle. Is that correct? A few days. Well, before a couple the days before we did the search. Yeah, then then correct. we knew we were right on the money because right, we had located the, the area. Had, had already located that area, and then I think the um, it was either Yavapai or Coconino County Sheriff's Department went in and they actually moved the vehicle. And uh, the Forest Service conducted a research up there and didn't find anything. Uh, we went up and, and began a search um, one day and and needed to end it due to heat constraints and stuff. Um, went back in a second day, and, the, and that day we were able to, um, the dogs were able to, begin following a trail while we worked the air scent dogs out around and we were starting to get alerts at, at a certain elevation uh, change. Um, apparently the, the scent was pooling out in this one elevation um, and based on that we were able to get uh, the air scent dogs as well as the trailing dog in, uh, in, an, in a position to make the find of Mr. Hatfield um, who had actually committed suicide. He had actually climbed up a tree um, above a beautiful valley on a, on a a cliff and uh, strapped himself in and had committed suicide. Um, but it, instrumental was the psychics putting us in the right area. Instead of having the entire state of Arizona for us to search, they were able to give us a specific point to start and and pretty much it, it actually a direction as well because I think a couple of the psychics said that he was southeast and actually gave even an approximate distance as to where we would locate him and it was right within that uh, right within that area. Yeah, the significance of that case, uh, I do remember, was uh, several had it within a quarter of a mile and a half a mile, right. and then even one of them came in with 350 yards from a certain mile marker and literally the exact direction to go, and that's where he was found. So, uh, obviously, you know, getting back to does this uh, psychic stuff work, the answer to that is absolutely 100%. Doesn't work all the time, but when it does, uh, it sure the significance does. is sure well. Does. Then you find you find an individual like Ed Hatfield, and you bring well, closure to the family. Well, and just like with the dogs, the, the psychics are a resource, and they should be used by you know as a as a resource, just like dogs. Not every search is suitable to work dogs in, um, but but when they are suitable, we should be using that resource. So it's exactly. with the psychics because what was the, uh, I can tell you the Find Me group is more accurate than any other group that I've ever any other psychics I've worked with in the past. Well, thanks for that plug. <laughs> hey, Val, you had a you had a chat room question. We have and, a couple uh, of them, but I'll just ask this kind of a side question. By the way, someone said 350 yards. Wow, that's impressive. Regarding what you said earlier. Well, exactly. But, I mean, we didn't sit out there and measure it, but you know, no, we walked about uh, quarter mile, about twelve minutes, and there we were. So, it's give or take impressive. a yard and a half, uh, it was probably in the three fifty to four hundred yard range. So, well, oh, so very definitely. There were two two quick ones. One one was that, what should a person do? Do you suggest if their dog is bitten by a snake and they, you know, the owner does not know if the snake is poisonous? 
seek medical treatment. Immediately. Have a, have a veterinarian look at it very quickly. There are um, rattlesnakes. You're going to get some swelling very quickly, typically. Um, you know, there's a lot of ranch dogs, at least in Arizona, that are bit by snakes that they don't ever get medical treatment, and the dogs do fine, but a lot of dogs don't do fine. So I would always advise seek medical treatment from your veterinarian. Okay. The other question that I think is on a lot of people's mind, how do you think dogs can find their way back when they're lost or somehow you know, get taken away to an area, sometimes even hundreds or more miles from home? What, what, how does that work? Well, I think just like with some people, um, dogs have an internal compass, you know, that and that they follow that tell them which way to go, and and they just know when they're home. Um, some people are able to go out and navigate in the wilderness without use of a compass or a GPS, and they always know how to get back to where they started. Um, I think it's something similar to that. I I don't know. I'm not a an animal expert by any means from for that part, but. Um, I just know that some dogs do it and, and are able to easily do it, and they just know where they're going and how to get there. Others aren't able to navigate. No. They get lost. Same with people. Yes, for well, sure. The, the training of the dogs that you're involved with, for the most part, the handler never allows the dog to go way, way off to where they can't see the dog. But every once in a while, we had this happen in Williams, if you recall, on the uh, search for Caleb Anderson. Um, one of the dogs got lost, and it was just the fact that the type of area we were in, you could the dog could be seven feet in front of you, and you couldn't see it. You could see the grass move, and you could hear the dog making all this noise, but there are times where if the handler uh, you know, doesn't pay real, real close attention or stay on top of where the exact location of the dog is, it'll get lost, but literally... Well, let uh, me qualify that a little bit, Kelly, because that dog yeah, actually please. wasn't lost. It was a trailing dog that got onto scent, and the owner, the handler had to drop the leash. Um, and she was doing a bunch of consulting on her map and stuff. The dog continued on the trail. It was exactly. not lost. Uh, so, so it really wasn't lost. The dog was following the scent source that it had been trained to follow. The handler just got separated from the dog on that case. And that's a trailing dog. The air scent dogs are taught to work out away from us. And my dogs have worked as far as three quarters of a mile out away from me. Um, typically, the, a lot, a lot of air scent handlers will, because their dogs do work at such distance, they will put a bell on their dog. Um, with a certain sound so that we can hear it at further distances. My dogs are taught they wear um, a remote collar when they're training or when we're working. And the reason for that is there's a vibration feature on it. And if I tap the vibration feature, um, which I do if I haven't seen my dogs in a long period of time, I'll tap it. My dogs will come back in and make visual contact with me before going back to searching. Oh, that's right. a plus. That is very yeah. helpful. Yes. Well, and the you know, main component of that, as I'm sure Christy was heading towards, is you know if you can't see your dog, you can't see the dog alert. So you do have to have some kind of close proximity, and uh, you know keep your dog to where you can at least see the dog alert. But the cool thing about most of the dogs, if they find something, they're coming back to find the owner because they're excited. Is and I think Look that's what pretty I've much done. every dog. <laughs> well, and I've that's done. that's one of the training yeah. techniques is they want to bring the owner. Uh, back to where what they found. Isn't that correct, Christy? Right. And our air scent dogs and our training dogs are, are taught a location, meaning they go out, they would find something, and the owner, the handler may not see them get in scent and work the scent cone, and so the dog may work it, go to source, and then they're all taught to come back to the handler and, and give the handler a trained indication that, hey, I found my source, and then return the handler to that. Um, and, but the average person watching this doesn't always know exactly what's going on. Um, with We train different types of indications for different things. My female, for her um, air scent indication, I mean, she slams me in the chest with all four feet. Um, my, but her cadavern human remains detection is a little bit more subtle. In water work, it's much more subtle because you obviously can't be having her slam you in the, knocking you out of the boat uh, when you're doing water work. And, and so well, those things can vary. Well, before we're about to end the show, and, and I really want to thank you for coming on today. Oh, uh, yes. I'm sure a ton of information that people had no clue of how these dogs work and how successful 
the dogs are and and how successful we've been in the past but uh one of the final things i wanted to ask you christy is if someone here in arizona wants to uh join uh, the search and rescue group uh how do they go about doing that um, contact us through our website or via email, um, volunteer at com. Send us an email, and we'll be happy to answer all your questions and um, assist you, you know, in coming out and seeing if it is something for you. And, Christy, um, can you refer others who are uh, listeners all over the world, really? Can you refer them, perhaps, to somewhere they Absolutely. Can I was just going to say, Great. if anybody is interested in doing search and rescue in their area, if just I do not know. know a team, I can do an inquiry and I can find somebody to refer them to. Wonderful, because I know we're having little questions about that, too. Where And again, where would they find you? Well, they would you, find us. Well, they would, if they do volunteer or training at azstar.org, they would find me. That's going to go to me. Well, I think we're out of time, Christy, but I want to thank you once again. Uh, appreciate you coming on with the, the show today and uh, appreciate everything you do out there trying to help people find their loved ones. Well, thank you, Kelly. I appreciate the time to be able to help educate people. All righty. Well, in this particular case, when I say kiss your pets on the lips, uh, then... Uh, <laughs> you mean Christy, it. You mean yes, it. Yes, I do, and especially with uh, Christy being on. Thanks, Christy. Thank you, and it's okay. volunteer at azstar.com. Good show. Yep. Great. Thank you. Thank you.